Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorash. I am here with Free Press beat writer Evan Petzl off another road trip, a successful road trip for both the Tigers and for Evan Petzl. He is now home. Savannah is happy. The Tigers are happy. It was a successful road trip. Pretty good week. Yeah, four and two week, eight out of 12. They're, they're, in a, they're in a good spot. I mean, they're really doing a good job of playing good ball, and it's 10-8 and eight for the month um, for the Tigers, and they got themselves an interesting spot here in the AL Central where, you know, coming out of Sunday's game, they, they beat the Cleveland Guardians. They had their first um, season series win. They've clinched that now. They're going to play three more times at the end of the year, but they won the, series, the season series for the first time since 2015, won three of four in Cleveland, and played some really good baseball against some good pitching. They got some timely hits when they really needed to. A ton of first inning home runs. It's always good to get out to a fast start and then kind of let things go from there. I would have liked to see them build on some of those leads a little bit quicker and blow some of those games open. But at the same time, Cleveland's known for developing pitching. They're also known for their contact skills on offense. They're a tough team to beat in that sense. They're a tough team to face. Like They're, they're not easy. They're, they're, it's never an easy win going and playing against Cleveland. And that's been the case for a really long time with the Tigers. I thought they handled themselves very well. And now they're in a spot where they're a game and a half out of second place behind Cleveland, and they're seven and a half games out of first place in the American League Central. I, I've been on this, you know, train back and forth over and over again of like, you know, do they actually have a chance? Can they put something together? What happens if they get really hot? Like, can they actually make a run at this? Because, you know, the division's really bad. And, you know, the twins have to keep winning games. And that, that's really what it comes down to. Like they haven't separated the gap just enough. The Tigers do have some tough games coming up, though. They play the Chicago Cubs. Then they play the Houston Astros. Then we get into September. They got to go to Chicago and play the White Sox. Those games never seem very easy. And then it's, you know, again, like it's it's really tough schedule. You can go to Chicago at the beginning of September. You got to go to New York. Then you got Chicago at home. Then you have Cincinnati. Then it's Shohei Otani and the Angels. The, the Dodgers, too. You don't really catch your breath, it feels like, at least, until you play Oakland. You know, towards the end of September, and then the season's almost over. So there's some tough games coming up for the Tigers, but they definitely put themselves in a position the way that they've been playing recently to at least feel like they have something to fight for, wouldn't you think? No. So, Come on, Mark. I you've seen the way that Spencer Torkelson's playing. You've seen the way that Kerry Carpenter is playing. You've seen the way that Riley Green has been playing all year long. You know what Erod can do. You know what Tarek Skubal can do. The bullpen's been somehow figuring out how to hold it together, even despite, you know, some more blow up outings than we've, you know, seen in the past. Like we've seen a lot of those recently. And those aren't very common, but still, like they've been holding it together. You're getting randomly good pitching performances from Joey Wentz when you really need it, you know, in a doubleheader, right? Like they're 
it, it seems like these guys are trying, like they're believing in something. As a fan, can't you jump on board with that? I can jump on board that every day they got to go to the park and try to build on just being good every day. If the outcomes of the games happen to be favorable and they win a lot, that's a bonus. Right now they got three really good players in their lineup. They got a half a good player in Jake Rogers who can do some things and hit the ball out of the park, especially at important times. And they also can hope and pray that Javi Baez plays like an average Javi Baez offensively and well you know that would be the X factor right like if they were to actually make a run they would need to have Javi to have like one of the best months of his career you know in September how about Javi hitting five homers in a month and you know hitting 260 with like a 480 slug right but I'm saying that I know that'd be great that'd be good to see that'd be a nice you know strong finish to the end of the season but I'm saying like if they actually want to be in the mix like to your point he would have to have like an elite month. He would have to have a month where he carries, which he is capable of doing just talent wise. Like we know that it's in there. We've seen him do it before. Now he hasn't done it in like two years, three years, but like it's in there somewhere. So if there was any time to have a really good month, you know, you know, September would be the month, late August, early September to get him in the hunt. He did it last year, last six weeks of the season. So it's not that That would be very helpful. That's all I'm saying. But my, my, my point is, I, I pay no attention to any chance they have to catch Minnesota. I do pay attention to how they play every day and how they play every series. And that's really what I want to see. We're going to talk a little later about the bullpen. And to be honest with you, the bullpen used to be really great. And, yeah, it's kind now, of and now it's a wild card every single day. So, you know, the Tigers are also seven games below 500 at home. They suck at home. They take the year out of every good road trip, and they've had a lot of good road trips the last two months. And, you know, I'm just being a realist, dude. I love some of the good things that are happening, and I've been happy to tweet about them and write about them and talk about them. And we've done it for a while. I mean, when people wanted to send Spencer Torkelson, on the Bablo boat in a circle uh, and basically send him to Toledo. <laughs> we tried to explain what was going on, what progress we saw and what he needed to do more of. And Progress going back to spring training, let's not forget. Yeah, lo and behold, guess what? Spencer Torkelson, progress. Beast. A thousand, almost 1,000 OPS for the month of August. Seven home runs. Really should have been eight if they ever put a camera on a damn foul pole in Major League Baseball. I mean, I know they're on an economy kick here. It's only an $11 billion industry. Who wants to put a $1,000 camera on a foul pole and get the calls right? But, yeah. That was definitely I mean, that was definitely gone, too. Like we, I mean, just watching it over and over again, I was kind of confused as to why they weren't able to reverse that. But I guess that then that's why, honestly, I think they probably should have called it a home run in the first place you because think? you know what, if there's not like, if it's not, you know, hundred percent evidence to the contrary, it's a home run. Do you know, I, I don't was. want to get off on a tangent about this, but I've said this for quite some time about instant replay. I love instant replay. We're not getting rid of it. We're moving forward. We're not going backwards. We're not bringing back, you know, 
small build hats and guys with funny windups. No, we're not going backwards. I'm sorry. We're, we're going forwards. And what they do need to do that they have not done yet it's because they're afraid of offending their friends, is that there are umpires in New York that verify calls. They know what the original call was. So a lot of times I get the feeling they don't want to overturn their buddies, especially they use the, it's not conclusive. So what I really think they need to do is not tell them what the call was. They need to just ask them what, the hell do you think this play was without telling them what the call on the field was? So, well, the problem is that they're watching every movement. So when the umpire either single, you know, uses his hand to signal a home run or, or, you know, calls it a dead ball or whatever the situation is, they're monitoring all that as it's happening. Yeah, I so, get it. But there's a way to do that though, Ev. And, and I've heard people discuss it and, or just get know, the call right. Like, I mean, who gives a shit about, you know, your buddies, like just get the call right. I, I don't disagree. I mean, with is it, can it be as simple as that? It would be an improvement. I don't understand I, the inconclusive thing because I do think that like it was pretty conclusive from what I saw on the Torkelson home run, but that's just me. And that's just my opinion. I get yeah, no argument from Mark Gorash on that one. All right. But anyway, so, anyway, hang on just, just to kind of yeah. you know retouch on this, right? Like the Tigers have beaten up on the American league central. We know that at 25 and 15 record, they've absolutely crushed their division. And this is kind of brought up in a, in a pregame conversation with AJ Hinch. It's just interesting that like, you know, this is the year that the Tigers aren't playing in their division as much anymore, just because of the the new schedule and the fact that, you know, it's the balanced schedule and you play every team in the, in the big leagues. And it's just kind of interesting that now they're tearing it up against the AL central. You wish they had more games against them, but this is where the tigers are going to be tested. Like if they want to make a run, as I mentioned, you're probably going to need more to hobby bias. And you're also going to have to play better against the AL East and the AL West. And the tigers are five and 20 against the AL East and they're nine and 13 against the AL West. Those are divisions that they have not played well against. They've absolutely crushed it in their own division, which is great. And that's a really good thing. That's something that the Tigers wanted to do coming into spring training. They wanted to get better against their own division. Now, they're not going to tip their cap and, and you know hang their hat on that and say, yep, this was a great season for us because we beat up on a bunch of teams that aren't very good. But it's a positive sign. You would really like to see them improve against the AL East and the AL West in particular. And they have a chance to show that they can do that. I'm just not going to bank on it. Well, interesting fact. I think they've hit a home run in 19 straight games now. Is that correct? Uh, Something like that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. All right. And it just seems like, you know, whether it's all three or two of the three that we're going to have a big talk about the big three. But after we get to the big two, somebody's showing up every day, right? Every single day. Every day. And, I I think I'll use a word that hasn't been used for a Detroit Tiger baseball team in many years, at least permeated by young players, which is they're begrudgingly earning some respect from from people first in their division because they've just been mercilessly brutalizing them, especially in the last six weeks. But, you know, you... You got to pay attention when you're playing them now because they're doing a few things and they're hitting some three run homers They're hitting the baseball more often. And uh, they're 
they're much more legitimate. Legitimate's a good word, right? I think so. Let's get to the big two, but I just want to make sure it's it's very clear. Fifteen of the last sixteen games with home runs. They okay. did not hit up. They did not hit a home run in game two of Friday's doubleheader. Has Kerry Carpenter hit a home run in fifteen of the last sixteen games? Sure, feels like it. <laughs> it feels like it, doesn't it? All right, let's get to the big two. Question number one of the big two: Eric Haas, Carson Kelly, talk to me. Talk to me about the move. Talk to me about the atmosphere after the move. Yeah, so the Tigers informed Eric Haas that he would be designated for assignment. Um, That conversation was had after Friday's doubleheader against Cleveland. And it was a move that, like, I don't think a lot of people saw coming, but at the same time, like, that is the reality of the situation for the Tigers right now. Like, that is just where they're at. Like, if you're not performing, they just can't waste their time anymore. And that's kind of the narrative that I picked up um, around that move. It was almost more of like, hey, message sent. Like, we're going to be making moves. We're going to be making changes. It's going to be happening now. And AJ Hinch flat out said it. Like, when the organization when the organization deems it's necessary to make a change, that change is going to happen. And it kind of felt like uh, it's kind of felt like it's going to be a who's next kind of thing. And that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, Eric Haas has had. Honestly, he's had a great career with the Tigers, right? Like that, that is his big league career is what's happened with the Tigers from being somebody that the Tigers picked up from Cleveland for cash considerations, um, you know, back three, four years ago and works his way into the starting lineup, becomes an everyday player, hits 20 plus bombs, wins an American League Rookie of the Month uh, for July 2021. He solidified himself in that 2021 season. He still was pretty productive in 2022, but man, oh man, since then, like he has just, he completely fell apart in 2023. He hit 201 with four home runs and 16 walks, seven, 78 strikeouts in 86 games. There were a lot of games where he looked completely clueless at the play, and that was really for most of the season. He became pretty much unplayable, even off the bench in pinch hit situations. The Tigers have always looked at him as a guy who we want him as a lineup lock in the middle of the order against the left-handed pitchers. And that just became impossible. I mean, when you're hitting 129, with one home run in 72 plate appearances against left-handed pitchers, you're going to get DFA'd if that's your calling card. And that was his and, calling card. And, and since the middle of May, I think it's he's hit like 150. So The clock's been ticking is what I'm saying. And, and I think you would agree. In, in, in addition, there's one other subtle, small issue that he's had, especially in the last six or seven weeks, and I brought it up to you quite a few times, Do, doesn't ever walk. I mean like ever like four walks in the last 150 plate appearances so if you're not hitting and you're not walking uh i guess catcher era just doesn't make that big a difference so well, it was the it was the uncompetitive at bats that were really frustrating is it was like situations where guys were on base and the tigers needed a big hit and eric Haas is a guy based on his 2021 and 2022 numbers that you would expect to come up for you in a big spot even if it's just a walk, even if it's just working a, a, a deep plate appearance. And if it's runner on third, you know, getting the ball out to the outfield and, and scoring him on a sack fly, like that just wasn't happening. And the fact that he wasn't tapping into his power and he wasn't hitting left-handed pitchers, there, there's no reason to keep him around at that point. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, but, Eric Haas, the last two years, who hit, who hit more no-doubters than Eric, Eric Haas? Yeah, I mean, look, the guy crushed for two years. And, you know, water found its level maybe. You know, it, it took some time. I don't I don't know. I don't know exactly what led to the downfall. His timing never seemed right. And like I said, 
you know, when you're not doing things that you're supposed to be doing that you're on the roster to do specifically, you can't stick around for a full season and you definitely can't, you know, be part of the picture for 2024 and beyond, but a player who can be in the picture for 2024 is Carson Kelly. I thought that was a pretty shrewd move by Scott Harris. Like I, I thought that was pretty smart the way that he handled that. And I, I want to know your thoughts both about Carson Kelly, the player, and also the, the 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 move that was made, and you know the club option that was included. So basically, what happened was Carson Kelly, he was with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He got DFA, then he got released. This didn't happen too long ago. He had just been on the market, and the Tigers were one of the first teams to reach out and call. And so the Tigers signed him to a big league deal for the rest of the 2023 season. Also a $3.5 million club option for the 2024 season. That's $3.5 million plus incentives, but it's a club option. So here's the deal with that is the Tigers, unlike you know the Erod situation where it's a player option, he gets to choose whether he opts out or opts in. Carson Kelly now, he, he doesn't get a choice. It's up to the Tigers. And so the plan is to optimize him. And if they like the return on that, then you know what? You got yourself a pretty good catcher for $3.5 million, as opposed to only signing him for 2023, trying to optimize him. And let's say he hits a couple homers. Let's say he, he puts up some good offensive numbers and he shows that he can manage a game and the receiving maybe gets a little bit better. Other teams take notice of that and he's just going to walk. He's not going to come back. So I think it was a pretty smart decision because the Tigers just control the fate of that entire situation. And like, if it doesn't work out, then like you cut ties and no financial responsibility and see a Carson Kelly, we'll catch you. We'll catch you never. Like that's how it works. I like the move because of that. I think it was a really smart way to structure that deal. I think it was a smart way to structure the deal. He's been hurt endlessly since uh, 2020. Has some skills. Probably a pretty high floor player, especially if he's healthy. Um, I think if he's healthy, he's a solid catching partner for Jakey. All you're looking um, for is a really good backup who's going to be able to step up if Jake gets hurt. And has upside. I mean, Carson right. Kelly. Oh, exactly, yeah. exactly. Car- Car- Carson, make no mistake about it. Carson Kelly has some upside if he's healthy, okay? Just never been healthy. So I mean, let's. Not- I mean, Mark, real quick, let's just go back and look at what he did in the past. I mean, you got to go and check out the 2019 season that he had. He hit 245 with 18 home runs. He had a 13.2% walk rate and a 21.6% strikeout rate. Fast forward, let's jump two more years into the future. 2021 season, played 98 games that year. 240, 13 home runs, 12.3% walk rate, and 20.6% strikeout rate. That's pretty good. Like If he can replicate that, the Tigers are going to be loving that. that. That is everything and more that they could want. And for $3.5 million, that's a pretty good deal. Now, yeah. that's the thing, is they're going to have to optimize it. And the game plan is to get him to improve his receiving, and he's going to have to drive the ball more. That's the big thing is the injuries. He has not been able to drive the ball since the injuries. He's got to be able to hit the ball hard to the gaps, get it in the air. If that happens, I, I think the Tigers pick up that option, but we're going to have to wait and see. I would agree. Pardon me. Wrist injuries, which never are a good thing for hitters. And uh, But at the same time, I, I've talked about the idea of 40 war to be a playoff team. And the way Jakey Rogers is playing, Jake Rogers is going to be close to a three-war player this year by himself, pretty damn close. So if they got a, a quality backup, they're going to have a 
a catching position that's going to generate between three and a half and four war for them if it works out correctly, that is a far more productive spot in their lineup than people, I think, realize. I mean, too many people pay attention to things like batting average and really there's so much more into productivity and valuing a player these days the way things are calculated. And we'll get into that at some point in time. I've been begging Ev to talk about 40 <laughs> war and I'm sure sometime in October when I'm wearing a Halloween mask and there's no baseball to really talk about. We can get into it. Deeper. Oh, well, Mark, we'll, we'll get into it at some point, but Carson Kelly, 1.8 war in 2019, 1.8 war again in 2021. In, in, you know, playing 100 games. That's the other part you got to understand. Right, so, playing 111 games and then 98 games. Correct. So, you know, the, the point is if he can add a, you know, 1 to 1.5 war, you know, playing 60 to 75 games, and Jake but, can be 2.5 to 3 war uh, like he has been this year, uh, playing 90 to 100, you know, we, we got secretly – a really, really productive catcher. You got 25 home runs from your catcher and some really solid defense. So, all right, number two. Uh, by the way, before we get to number two, I, w- I do want to say farewell, Eric Haas. You are loved here. You are free to come talk on the pod anytime you want. We wish you the best of luck. I'm sure somebody will pick you up. And I wouldn't be shocked if nobody picks him up that, you know, he goes to Toledo and signs a minor league deal with the Tigers because who the heck knows? I mean, why not? It's not like if he ever got his swing back that he couldn't win back playing time because I think he could. So, uh, but good luck, Eric. You know, been a, been a great three years and it's always good to see a kid from, you know, Westland, Dearborn, Livonia do, do his thing and I think everybody's like being a, a fan of Eric Haas, unfortunately. I, I do want to well, I do want to say as well too, Mark, and not not to cut you off, but like I gotta make sure I get this in. Like he he was a pro's pro. Like in that clubhouse, he was as good as it gets. Like we and Chris McCoskey from the Detroit News put out a really nice tweet um after the news had been announced just about the impact that Eric had. And man, like that, that guy, he he talked to us and it's it's not easy talking to reporters after a bad game or after a tough loss, but like he owned everything. He owned everything. He he enjoyed the good moments, and he talked in the great moments when he had some of his biggest hits and his biggest home runs, um, and some of his biggest games. He also talked when he you know made some of the biggest mistakes of his career. Like you go back to the you know the game in Minnesota in twenty twenty two when he threw the ball away and 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 they lost the game on that play. And you know he stood there, took it, and and talked about it. Like he didn't hide. He was out in front. The next day, like he had a long conversation that that even went into further detail about about the play, and like that that's someone that you really respect because you know he understands our jobs. We obviously understand his job, and you know he was a true pro with all of the beat writers, and obviously the way that he conducted himself and carried himself both in the clubhouse and outside the clubhouse was spot on. Fans loved him for a reason, and and I think he can always hang his hat on that. Yeah, Missy Ericas back one day within the next decade, being an analyst on Tiger TV broadcast or something like that, I wouldn't wouldn't be shocked. All right, let's get to uh, the second question of the big two. And it's a big question. And we had something happen today that reinforces it. Who goes next and when? 
And let's talk a little bit about something we talked about last week, which was you're going to see some call-ups because the threshold date was going to happen this week. And lo and behold, so who goes next and when? And Parker Meadows was called up today. Yeah, Eric Haas was kind of the first domino to fall there. And yeah, now the Tigers are calling up Parker Meadows. He's going to be in Detroit for Monday's game against the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, welcome to the show, Parker Meadows. I mean, this is a guy who has been in the minor leagues for a really long time. He has over 2,100 plate appearances in the minor leagues. He has spent, you know, the entire 2023 season with AAA Toledo, put himself back on the map in 2022, jumping from West Michigan to Erie, absolutely tore it up, hit 20 bombs that year. Also had a 270 batting average, 819 OPS. This year, he's been pretty much just as good. I mean, it's it's been 19 home runs, 812 OPS, and 113 games for, for Toledo. He plays a hell of a center field. He allows Riley Green to move to the corners, which is something the Tigers have wanted to do. Um, the question was going to be, you know, who do you got better to play center field? Well, here he is, Parker Meadows. He plays a really good center field. Another left-handed hitter. Um, that kind of makes things interesting, right? Like we go down the list and talk about who's next. And there are a number of guys on the list when it comes to who's next. Um, namely, Andy Abanez, Nick Maton, Zach Short. That's kind of your position playing group that could be next. Maybe Akil Badu, you could lump him in there. Maybe. Um, but I'm, I'm not so sure about that right now. I think he's maybe more of a see you later if Justin Henry Malloy makes his way up. Um, the Tigers are going to obviously need to, to get rid of a left-handed bat at some point. Um, just because they have Parker Meadows coming up now, who's a left-handed bat. But regardless, it, it, we don't know who the, the, the corresponding move is going to be yet. That's not going to be announced until Monday. This podcast will probably drop. And then like minutes later, the Tigers are going to announce officially the corresponding move or we'll get into the clubhouse or I'll get a text and figure out who it is. But like, it seems like it's probably going to be Nick Maton only because of the fact that he bats left-handed. The Tigers could send down Andy Abanez, a right-handed hitter. They could send down Zach Short another right-handed hitter. I think Akil Badu has been stepping up his play since moving into the leadoff spot against righties. So he's not somebody that you really want to send down right now. He's doing a good job of drawing walks, controlling the zone, you know, getting his hits, showing power that we haven't seen since, you know, really 2021 where he's just crushing the ball. So it's, it's good to see Akil playing like that. That's a left-handed bat. That would kind of be the obvious swap for Parker Meadows, but you can't dump Akil Badu right now. Matt Vierling's playing more infield, taking up time at third base. Nick Maton's just not playing. And so left-handed for left-handed swap, Nick Maton isn't playing. It, it, it's a pretty easy you know, thing to decipher. I mean, look, Nick Maton started one game in Boston, only played one game in Boston. He didn't start any of the games in Minnesota and this past road trip, came in off the bench in one of those games, but didn't start. And then also started just one game in Cleveland in the four-game series, came off the bench in another game. So the guy's just not playing. And then also, he didn't even, and in all those games that I mentioned he started, he didn't complete those games. He, didn't, he hasn't played a complete game, inning one through nine, all the way through since August 2nd. So at this point, like, is it really worth keeping him around? Not really. The Tigers sent him down to Toledo once. They brought him back up in 21 games, 13 starts. Since then, hitting 213, a little bit better of a batting average, five walks, 12 strikeouts, two home runs. He hasn't really done a whole lot on this past road trip. And so at this point, like, he's just not getting the playing time. You probably want him getting at bats. Toledo's probably the best spot for him. I think that's probably going to be the move. You just gave that answer four minutes more than I would have given it. It's a pretty easy choice. He, I think it, you know, we're both pretty good at being hinch whispers. 
bottom line, if you're a utility player for AJ Hinch, you got to be able to play some defense. And not only is Nick Maytime not hitting, he's not really a great defender. So, but it's who's pretty, next, Mark? But who's next? That's the big question because you got Ryan Kreidler who you could make the case for. He needs a little bit more time for them to figure out what he's all about. You got Wenzel Perez on the 40-man roster playing in AAA Toledo right now. You have Donnie Sands also in in AAA Toledo on the 40-man roster. I don't think he comes up. But then obviously you have the two big names who aren't on the 40-man roster and Colt Keith and Justin Henry Malloy. Rosters expand at the beginning of September. I think that's when we see the next bulk of moves. Who goes? We're going to discuss who goes, who comes, I tweeted something about it a few days ago. We're going to go over that. But first, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. So it's a really great question. Who's next? I just want to bring up a point. I talked a little bit about this. You need to know who's on the 40 man because if, you know, Justin Henry Malloy, Cole Keith both require a 40 man move. Okay. Um, I also do not think we should write off the idea that uh, Trey Wingenter is going to get recalled because who's next? I think I tweeted out who's, and you also have to recall, you also, they're also going to recall Mason Angler any day, just so you know. I don't know. Really they're going to let that, they're going to, they're going to let that go for a minute. Yeah. Well, I don't. I mean, really, there's no reason to call him back up, Mark. Like, that's I, the thing. No like, re- the, the the answer is there's no reason to call him back up ever. Okay, but right. So why not just let him enjoy the enjoy the 30 days that he gets on rehab? Let him pitch against players that are more of his caliber. I mean, again, this is a Rule Five pick who hadn't pitched above Double fulfilled. A before this season. Like he he's already yes he's already filled, fulfilled all the benchmarks as a Rule Five pick. Why not just let him sit in Triple A, build up his confidence? work against, you know, opposing players who are more of maybe his caliber and and maybe they stretch him back out. Like maybe that's something that they try to do is they stretch him back out and and maybe they shut him down for the right. Like, who knows what they do? But the point is, is that like this is a long season for him. I think he benefits from as much time in AAA as he gets, which would take him to about mid-September. I, I think that's got to be the best move for him, just, just yeah. for his career and for his development path. He yeah. hasn't developed. He had to get tossed right in the big leagues. Yeah, well, okay. Whenever. I think that's a, I think that's a fair counterpoint. It is very all right. So you, you ask who's next. I think I tweeted this out the other day. Who's next is Jose Cisnero, and it pains me. He's appeared in 210 baseball games, but you know, in the last you know 15 innings, he's. I think I tweeted this. He. I think I said he 15 innings, 18 runs, 21 hits. It's just been an absolute tsunami of terrible pitching and uh he's 34 years old he's a free he's a pending free agent you know my point is you know why is he here now 
Well, more importantly, Trey Wingenter is going to be arbitration eligible for the first time this offseason, and the Tigers are going to have to make a tender or non-tender decision on him. So they're going to have to make a choice of, you know, do we want to pay him a little bit and keep him around for next year, or do we not? And I think you have to have him in the big leagues to really see and give him a little bit more runway. Yes. So when you ask me who's next, to me, that's who's next. Okay. I but mean, on the position it, player side, you've got to be thinking Andy Abanez. You've got to be thinking Zach Short. Akil Badu has to keep playing the way that he's playing if he wants to stay. If he does, I think he stays. Akil's been playing very well in the month of August. Um, and all the people out in front of my house who are carrying signs that Akil Badu is playing well and trying to mock me. It's a Sunday night and it's dark out. You should go home. Uh, but I don't think Akil's getting demoted here anytime soon. He's, he's played well. He's hitting leadoff. And God knows they needed some productivity out of the leadoff spot. So I don't yeah, see did. that to be, to be imminent. The other person that may need a fast trip down to Toledo, who is a really important piece when he's doing what he normally does, but has just been frighteningly terrible, the last three times he's entered the baseball game is Will Vast. Holy, my goodness, has he been terrible, okay? So uh, there's lots of choices, choices that people don't, you know, think are popular. I mean, the Andrew Vasquez experience, I think if you want to understand why he's on two or three baseball teams every summer now, if you watch what happens when he comes in the game, you know, there are some outs. There are a lot of balls thrown. There's a lot of walking. There's just a lot of execution like a player on a terrible team executes. And I don't want to say that I told you so, but I told you so. Mark, I'm going to so, ask you one more quick question, and it's Zach McKinstry. Should he be included in this conversation too? Because I go back and I look at what he's done in August and it's one walk, 14 strikeouts, and he's hitting 224 with zero home runs. Which That's sounds, now which he has been now he has like, been putting the ball, he has been putting the ball in play a little bit more, you know, in the past week or so. But the point is, is like this guy has no options left. Like, is he really a part of the future? Do you really see him on the 2024 team? And if not, then like what's the point? Like, I understand that like you he has years of control, but he also has no minor league options. So you can't send him down ever. Without putting All him right. through waves. So, so let's let's default back to the DFN. AJ Hinch style of managing. Do you think as a pure utility player getting two hundred to three hundred at bats that Zach McKinstry is an AJ Hinch kind of player on the bench? No. All right. I, I would actually say to that, yes. You know why? Because he plays he, every position on the field. Well, he is. He does. He does. But when you're looking at roster spots, like how do you make room? Like how do you make room for Justin Henry Malloy? How do you make room for Colt Keith, another left-handed hitter, if he's going to get a look this year? Which I'm not even sure he's going to. But if he does, you 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 can't just you you can't have like an unbalanced roster with a ton of left-handed hitters. Like you're going to have to move one of those guys at some point. And by moving Zach McKinstry, that would mean you know, running him through waivers and, and DFAing him. I would say that the chances of Colt Keith being recalled wane by the minute. And he's had a, not a terrible month 
of August, but not a good month of August. And they kind of probably secretly are enjoying his struggles. Um, it removes, you know, people like you and I clamoring for him to be promoted. And it wouldn't shock me if he's not added to the 40 until the winter uh, and just trying to send a message to, you know, he needs to keep working to be the guy. I'm not saying he can't win a spot coming out of spring training. He can. That's fine, but it's other players too. It's Wenzel Perez, a switch hitter who's in AAA and on the 40 man. It's Andre Lipschitz, who you have not gotten a look at yet, who's also in AAA. Like these are guys that are on the 40 man. They're going to need active roster spots if the Tigers want to at least get a look at them, which is why they put them on the 40-man roster in the first place. You know who's not going to be on the 40-man in December? Andre Lipsius. So, I mean, to be honest with you, Ab, I know he likes Kreidler. He likes Kreidler because he thinks he's the best defender out of all these utility-oriented players. And I think what they're doing with Ryan Kreidler right now is making sure he gets four at-bats every night. And... At some point in time, he's coming up. He's coming up soon. Uh, he, he might not come up till September 8th or 10th, but he will be up this year. But right now, they're just trying to get him four at-bats every day. He needs to work on his hitting. Uh, I don't think they, they already know what kind of defender he is. So when you say what's next, you know, who's getting cut next? Like I said, I think Cisneros the next guy. I think Will Vest better pitch better here real fast because you know you can't you can't be a gas can when they keep bringing you in to leverage in the sixth inning and and throwing terribly. So as far as bats, there's a lot to choose from. I do there I is. think do I think Wenzel Perez is a priority to come up? Probably not. Um, do I think if I was Zach McKinstry that Wenzel Perez would make me nervous. Oh, it'd make me really nervous because Wenzel Perez has options. Wenzel Perez can hit and walk a little bit. He is not nearly as good a defender as Zach McKinstry. But look, I think what we said about Zach McKinstry last March and April is every bit as true today as we said then. Zach McKinstry is not a great hitter. And now that he stopped walking, it really puts him in jeopardy far more. If, if, if Zach McKinstry would walk 8% of the time, we would not even be having this discussion because we would you would not go, be. right, because you would say he's a phenomenal utility player. He plays every spot on the field besides first base and catcher well. I mean, he's a plus defender at six positions. So... You know, it's 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 up to him, but I think. And he's I'm not ex- saying he's at. And I'm not saying he's at the top of the next to go list for position players, but I'm just saying, like, if you're really going to get all these guys a look, I understand rosters rosters expand. So, you know, maybe some people survive, some people don't. Like that's just kind of how it works. But you know, Andy Abanez, Zach Short, Zach McKinstry, Zach, like Zach it, it, Short, the, the list. Listen. The list gets pretty small pretty quick when you start cutting names. Not a huge amount of difference between Zach Short and Ryan Kreidler. Very similar players. Zach's had, for him, a ridiculously good season. Okay, At second and third, he's really, really good. Does he have outfield versatility? No. 
you know, his bat is, he does walk from time to time, but, you know, it's actually a useful utility player. If it, I mean, he's probably parlayed this season into, uh, if it's not here, it's somewhere he can get more major league time. So, all right. So enough ruminating over utility players on the roster. Let's talk about something awesome. We have a legit big three. How damn fun is that? And let's talk about it because you've been watching it like a hawk and it's really something pretty awesome to watch. You got three guys raking, three guys hitting bombs. Spencer Torkelson is, you know, morphed into Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, Kerry Carpenter is just a left-handed demon now. And it's resulting, most importantly, in winning baseball games. So, and it seems like there's a hell of a lot of chemistry going on feeding off those three guys. So give give me some flavor for that. Yeah, the vibes are really good amongst those three, both behind the scenes and out in front when they're in the batting order and and coming up to the plate day in and day out. It seems like things kind of, you know, reach the, the kind of the climax of the situation, right? Like when they were in Minnesota and all three of those guys homered and they had the huge game and that was back on Wednesday and, and, yeah, it was special. Like it, it, it felt like something. It felt like the future is here. There is hope. Like there, there is an opportunity. Like Tigers fans out there, jump on board now with these three because it's becoming real. And it's becoming real because it's been repeatable. I think we've talked enough about Riley Green, even going back to spring trading, where he's kind of been a lock to be a superstar. We've known that. That has been the case. He's been through the ups and downs, but like throughout, it's been like, oh yeah, this guy's going to be really good. The question marks were Spencer Torkelson, and it was less about like, is he going to be any good and more about like, how good is he actually going to be? Is he going to be a guy that's going to hit, you know, 230 and 15 home runs? Or is he going to be a guy who hits, you know, maybe 250 and can swat 35 homers, maybe even more? Those are two very different players. And he sure looks like player two as opposed to player one, the way that he's been playing recently. And he's been so stop and go throughout his career. I mean, we've seen him have three good games and and then be really bad for a while and then have, you know, five good games and be really bad for a while and then three good games and bad for a while. And so it's just been this constant stop and start. And we've seen the good games, like the 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 length of period between you know, bad game and bad game. Like it's just gotten wider and wider and wider as his career has gone on. And now he's super locked in. And like, I don't know if he's ever going to have a bad game again. That's how it feels. I mean, the guy is just hitting the ball all over the place. It's oppo homers. It's pull side homers. It's, you know, pitches are throwing him differently and they're trying to give him more, you know, secondary stuff as opposed to fastballs. I mean, when he first got on this tear, he was hitting fastballs up and in turning on him and just raking them. Now he's hitting fastballs down and in he's hitting, you know, sliders and change-ups that are left over the heart of the plate. He's hitting fastballs away to the opposite field, getting his bat to him and like crushing him out to right and right center. He's so locked in and I couldn't be happier for a player than more than like Spencer Torkelson, just considering everything that he went through. Like this is a guy that similar to Eric Haas, like he answered all the questions when he was going through it. I mean, it was all of last year. I mean, it's all the hype, all the buildup, right? And then all of last year, all of this year, early in the season, when things maybe weren't going great at times, like it was just, he he was always there, always answering the questions, never said no. And you kind of like grow to respect a player like that when they're always willing to answer the questions, even after a tough loss, even during a tough stretch. 
And, and it's kind of cool to see him come out of it. It's like, okay, yeah, like this is what that guy was talking about. Like when he was saying, hey, I just got to get back to my swing. Like this is the swing that he was talking about. And he's finally gotten to the point where he's able to repeat it. He's athletic in the box. I love what I'm seeing. Spencer Torkelson is going to drive this offense with Riley Green. And then you got Kerry Carpenter, who's come out of nowhere from a career standpoint and is just absolutely crushing it. So let's talk Torque for just a second. Month of August, 254, 365, 651 slug, a 1.016. He's slugging. I mean, his OPS is over 1,000 for the month. Elite. Now, just for fun, he also has seven homers. He has nine walks. So of his 15 hits, 16 hits for the month, 11 of them may have been for extra bases. And he probably got robbed of a legitimate home run last night. So, and he had a few more caught at the base of the wall. It's been a hell of a ride, a hell of a month. And what I really would like to point out about Spencer Torkelson, I don't think anybody or me has taken more abuse than Spencer Torkelson. And for a long, long time, and you can comment on this because you have a lot more verification than I do, Spencer Torkelson was, especially last year, and even a little bit in spring training, kind of stubborn about making tweaks to his his hitting mechanics. And, you know, he struggled for it. His consistency was a struggle. But as time has gone on, he came back to spring training with a much, much more athletic swing. He reduced the weight of his bat, which is something he he got from Mike Trout. And even as the year has gone on, he has continued to tweak his swing. He's learned to beat fastballs to the spot. He's hitting the ball constantly hard, even though he wasn't being rewarded for a long time. He's starting to be rewarded more now. He is not mastered, but he learned how to use the pull side and hit the ball in the air. And I've detailed that in data and articles and discussions here, et cetera. And we've talked about it for a long time. And so I'm I'm not saying he's perfected it, but you see it day after day after day. He hits the ball hard at least once a game, every game now. And more importantly, lately, it seemed like an accident, but maybe it's not. He's letting the ball get deep, and he's lofting the ball the other way. So, uh, Well, part of that's a product of just being confident. Like, he's so confident in himself. He's so confident in the pitch recognition right now. But sure, like, he was stubborn, no doubt about it. The biggest thing for him, and you had mentioned this, and, and I think I mentioned it earlier as well, was just being athletic in the box, like going out there and just attacking pitches. And he's got a really good plan. He's always had a really good plan. I've, I've never had a problem with his approach. I think his approach has always been good. And because of the struggles, he has been caught in between before. But I think generally, like the foundation of his approach has been rock solid. And the foundation of his swing, for the most part, has been pretty solid too. But the big thing has just been, hey, you got to be more athletic. You have to be. You cannot be so robotic with your swing. We saw the same swing over and over and over again. And that's why I missed so many fastballs middle-middle last year, because he had the same they had the same exact swing and, and pitchers knew exactly where to throw the ball and he would never be able to get to it. He wouldn't be able to Stiff. touch it. Yeah. And that was the problem. So now he's more athletic and he's absolutely raking and he worked on that. 
I want to give another shout out, Kerry Carpenter, who said, I went back and I found some old quotes from him after the last season. He said that he needed to improve his play discipline. He really wanted to dominate the strike zone. That was post Scott Harris hire, of course. So and that was a big thing that Kerry wanted to do. And you know what Kerry's done this year? He's improved his walk rate. He has improved his strikeout rate. He has improved his whiff rate. And he has improved his chase rate. So all of those numbers have gone up for walk rate, down for strikeout rate, down for whiff rate, and down for chase rate. And I think that's a big reason why we're seeing so much success from him. Like he has this same Aaron Judge swing with the launch quickness taught by the same instructor. It allows him to sit back and wait on pitches and get ready to go and, and hunt, but then also make an adjustment to a secondary pitch if he sees it. So you sit breaking ball. He's been able to make those adjustments. I mean, as good as anybody, like the oppo home runs that he had in Fenway Park were just chef's kiss. Like that, that's an example of a guy who's really locked in on the zone, knows exactly what's being thrown, is recognizing pitches and is able to make adjustments to him. And that's a product of his offseason work. Let, let me tell you an at-bat that really, really impressed me. So, you know, Ty, Tyler Beebe is going to be really, really good for Cleveland. Holy smokes. I mean, he he has a really great array of breaking stuff. He commands it. His change is really good, and he's not afraid to throw it. Throws Carpenter, first pitch change, swings and misses it by a lot. Throws him the next pitch, what happened? Next pitch change, what happened? Doubled up on the change. The second one, yeah, souvenir baby, went in the trot. So, and that's a really tough thing to do because, like I said, you know, BB is a really good pitcher and you get doubled up on the change. Uh, that was something. All right. We need to take our last break. I'm going to throw it to my boy, Robin Chan. We'll be back in a minute. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of, uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. Been a lot of fun. Boys are raking. Enough accolades. Let's touch kind of rapid fire on a few other things we're seeing. We'll call it a day. Let's talk about real quickly, Alex Fado, Tarek Skubal, last starts. Interesting both. Fado, a lot of sliders, a lot of change-ups. Talk to me. Yeah, Fado wants to throw more right-on-right change-ups. I think that's going to open up his game. Obviously, you know, big slider guy, big fastball guy. Um you know, he, if he can pinpoint the fastball, as we know, fastball command is life. We've talked about that before. The slider is really good. It's his best pitch. But if he can locate more right and right changes, things that can open him up to a whole new dimension uh, of what he can do. Like if he can really add a true third pitch into his mix, now that's going to make him a lot better pitcher. I completely agree with that. As for Tarek Skubal, he had absolutely no command in the first two innings, was able to survive it, only allowing run, run, one run through those two innings. But once he dialed in that changeup, then he said everything kind of, you know, came to him. And that's a sign of a really good pitcher, someone who doesn't have their best stuff, but is able to then find something that allows him to, to, to kind of dial it in, right? Like 
his stuff was really good post finding the changeup, and that kind of unlocked everything else. And that's sometimes all that it takes is like you find one of those cues, and then from there you go. We saw that from Tarek Skubal. I thought that was really impressive and a, and a great sign for him moving forward. And the same thing for Fido with the right-on-right change-ups. We saw a ton of those in his last start against Minnesota. Hopefully that carries over. He's going to start Monday against Chicago. We'll see what he can do against the Cubs. Got a little news on one Casey Mize this week. Talk to me about that. Yeah, Casey Mize is getting close, not to returning to the Tigers, but to live BP. So that's going to be live batting practice where he's actually facing real hitters. Now, we don't know if that's going to happen in Detroit against players from the Tigers. We don't know if that's going to happen in Lakeland. Maybe he makes a drive to Toledo for that to happen. A lot of it depends on the scheduling. Like one of the things is if it it lines up that he needs to do that on a Sunday, um, which Tigers haven't announced the official date of his first live BP yet. So if it happens on a Sunday, they're not going to want hitters to come in at you know 9 a.m. to take live BP off Casey before a game because Casey's been throwing his butt off in those bullpens. Like the velo is there, the the, the movement is there. Like he he is putting things together, working with Chris Fetter, working with Robin Lund. He's a pitching savant himself. Things are looking on the up and up for Casey Mize. He's going to be starting live BPs, which means that a rehab assignment could be coming soon. I still think it's too late now for him to actually rejoin the Tigers at this point in the season. I think if for some reason there is a miraculous playoff push, maybe we're having a different conversation, maybe. But for now, I think it might be good just to get him in a rehab game, um, You know, maybe work him back and try to build up the innings even just a little bit um, to kind of give him a little bit of reward for what he's been doing. He's put in a ton of work, and he's been absolutely crushing his rehab. He was crushing it from day one. He's such a process-oriented guy, and it's paid off. It's paid off. Like He, he looks really good in the bullpens, and he's getting rave reviews from A.J. Hinch, his coaching staff, and um, even go out there and watch a little bit of it, right? And the, the, the fastball has life. Things are zipping. Pitches are moving. It's it's really good to see. So who knows if he comes back this year? Doesn't seem likely, but live BPs, that's a great step. Uh, decision to be made on one Spencer Turnbull. Uh, yeah, Turnbull rehab. has, yeah, he's got his final rehab assignment. Um, his final start of his rehab assignment coming up this week, and the Tigers are going to have to make a decision after that. We can't forget that before he was placed in the IL, he was sent down, and he had the neck discomfort to reverse the uh, IL placement and um, excuse me to reverse the option and send him to the IL. And so we're going to see what happens. I think the Tigers are probably going to send him down to Toledo. He hasn't been great during his rehab assignment. And also like, you know, if they sent him down in the first place for a reason and Erod is still here. So I think that that doesn't really help Spencer Turnbull. I think we see him in Toledo moving forward. I, I don't see how they can option it, him to Toledo and make sure that he's competent to get get promoted in the major leagues. He's not exactly ingratiated himself to the Harris administration. And, you know, if I were him, I'd shut up and try to pitch better. Well, that's so, the thing is there's one way to fix all that, and that's just pitch really well, and he hasn't done that on rehab. So He hasn't done that in two and a half years. So um, for a little while we had uh, Alex Lang and Jason Foley swap jobs. Um, and today it seemed like they might be swapping back. So just kind of give give me, give me your fast opinion about that. This is the last time I'm going to say the word closer. So I'm done with that because we don't really know what's happening. I mean, I think, look, I think in the, in the big picture the Tigers would like to view it as if they have two guys that can pitch the ninth inning in Jason Foley and Alex Lang. And they probably just try to ride the hot hand when they can. 
Alex Lang is not going to be perfect the rest of the year. Jason Foley is not going to be, you know, imperfect the rest of the year either. I mean, Jason Foley has allowed home runs after an incredible 52 game homerless streak. He allowed back to back home runs, super rare, unexpected. And he's been getting hit hard recently. He's been leaving his sinkers up in the zone and guys are getting to it. Like you can't leave that pitch up. He tried to overcorrect and he started burying a bunch of pitches that didn't bode well for him. He, you know, found his way out of a couple of jams. Sure. But like, he hasn't looked great. Alex Lang, he didn't look great for, I mean, a really long time. It was like 20 innings, but it was 20 innings across like 25 plus appearances where he was just terrible. And now he's back pitching well, Um, you know, not the same swing and miss, but at the same time, he's locating his pitches. He's getting ground ball outs. He's, you know, keeping teams limited and, that's a really good thing to see. So I think, look, we're at this point in the season where it's August 20th. And I do think that the bullpen is kind of gassed. Tyler Holton continues to shove. What, what an amazing pickup by Scott Harris. But like he continues to shove. But outside of that, like it's really been a lot of hot and cold hit or miss with these guys. So I think did they switch jobs maybe for a minute. But at the same time, the way that Foley pitched when he got the ninth inning, it's just going to be like a ninth inning by committee at this point. Who's hot? Who's available? How can we get to the finish line? That's the way that AJ Hinch likes to manage with the matchups. And I think he's going to try to take advantage of that with those two guys in particular in the back end. All right. Last rapid fire as we head to the finish line. Uh, Tough week for Javi Baez. Tough year for Javi Baez. Got a chance to clear his head and to take care of obviously some, uh, Important family activities in Puerto Rico. He's back, uh, hit a homer. Uh, then today he performed three magic tricks out on the field playing shortstop. Don't forget about but the walk. Got a walk. So it, I think it's important that he closes on a better note. It would Mark, be. Mark, he needs it. He needs it. The Tigers need it. The Tigers need that. I mean, I mean, Javi Baez needs it, but the Tigers do too. Look, like they, they need to know what they're going into 2024 with. And obviously, they're going to be going into 2024 with Baez. But the question is going to be, how much can we expect from this guy? Like, how, how much can he actually bring to our team? Is he going to be this huge, you know, dead weight on offense that we're just going to have to put up with? Like, they, that's not what they want. So they, they need some production from him just to feel a little bit more confident going into next year. They got that at the end of last season. Things seemed like they were moving in the right direction. And then suddenly, He's just not doing anything all year on offense. And he's been great defensively. He makes plays that nobody else is going to make. Um, he's so fun to watch on defense. You would just love for him to get it going on offense a little bit, and the Tigers would too. So we'll see how he does. I mean, again, he's coming back off the bereavement list. His grandfather had died on August 5th, and they were working out travel plans. So Javi had to stick around in Detroit and, and play with the Tigers for a little bit longer than expected. He ends up actually going on the bereavement list on August 13th. So there's that long delay in between that probably felt like an eternity for a guy who, you know, was mourning the death of his grandfather and was just looking forward to being around his family in Puerto Rico and getting to those services um, that he needed to be at. And so they finally get those scheduled and locked in. He's got a bunch of family traveling from the United States to Puerto Rico. They all get there and he's able to spend some time there. He came back for the second game of Friday's doubleheader in Cleveland. And he's going to be with the Tigers now, you know, obviously for the rest of the season. So it's good that he's back. He missed four games and again, yeah, hopefully it was a good opportunity for him to kind of clear his head. Like that's, that's really difficult. I mean, him and his grandfather, we had a conversation with him. Uh, the B writers did on Saturday and he talked about, you know, his grandfather being the leader of their family, being somebody that he looked up to. 
um, and, and just was somebody that really brought the family together and was like a big connector for all of them. And, and obviously he takes a lot of pride in his grandfather and he has a really close relationship, loved him dearly. So I can't imagine how difficult that was for him, you know, during the period of his grandfather's death to when he actually was able to leave and, and go back and be with his family. So yeah, now he's back and hopefully he's able to pick it up. He needs it. The Tigers need it. I know he desperately wants to be, wants to play better. Like there's no part of Javier Baez that isn't willing to put in the work. Like it's not like he doesn't try. It's not like he's not coachable. It's not like he's, you know, dodging questions from us or just kind of a, a, a jerk. Like whatever you might think of him from the outside looking in, like he really isn't that person. He wants to play hard. He wants to win and he wants to be good. He wants to help his team. He hasn't been doing that. And it's going to have to turn around because the Tigers need him. If the Tigers really want to click and they really want to make a move, they need Javier Baez to be more than a dead weight on offense. Well, they need him more to be more than a defensive specialist is what they need him to be. I mean, it's basically Andrew Elton Simmons, is it not? Pretty much. Uh, Pretty much. So I'm sure he's disappointed in the season he had, especially at the plate. He has been outstanding both uh, on the bases and defensively. But, but there's, yeah. still, there's still time to salvage something. Oh, yeah. There's time to at least try to have a good feeling, see if he can hit a few homers, be part of the mix of uh, a good feeling going into the offseason. The Tigers, you know, have a chance to do some building on what they seemingly have started here in the last two, three weeks. So another six weeks left in the season, and, you know, it. It's time to stop being bad. And uh, if they can continue on how they've played the last 12 games uh, for the next 45, uh, might see something. All right. Another week in the books. It was a pretty fun week. Uh, next week, we got the Cubs. We got Houston. Should be fun. For my partner, Evan Petzl, I'd like to uh, remind everybody to rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find Days of Roar wherever you like to find your podcast, and you can especially find it in the free press in any article that Evan Petzold writes. I'd like to thank our executive producers, Anjanette Delgado and Kirk Crawford, our lifesaver, our producer, Robin Chan. I'd like to give a shout out to my little man, who I always give a shout out to, Braden Michael Gorash, for my partner, Evan Petzold. I'd like to say peace. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.